Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today we're talking about the special relationship between prime contractors and their subcontractors, or between subcontractors and their prime contractors. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Visit skywayacq.com to learn more. Okay, let's get started. We're talking relationships today, specifically contractual relationships, and we're using a fancy word, privity. Privity. We, we didn't make it up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a real word. Privity in federal contracts only exists between the prime contractor and the government. So it's the relationship, the actual contractual relationship only exists between the prime contractor and the government. The government holds the prime contractor responsible for, for meeting the contract requirements. Subcontractors don't actually have a relationship with the government. Right. Even though they're performing work and they're getting paid by the government, their relationship is with the prime. Yeah, it's it's indirect with the government. Yes. There you go. And this isn't a far thing that we're talking about, although it's in the far. It's not a far thing. This is common law. And before we get to that, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Neil Levine, and I apologize if I mispronounced your name. He's a proposal director at T-Rex Solutions. He's in the Alexandria, Virginia area. I want to thank Neil for liking and particularly for commenting on our Unequal Exchanges episode, it was number uh, 358. When folks like Neil take the time to comment on our episodes, it helps us understand how, and, and, and frankly, if, our podcast is actually <laughs> helping people. So thank you, Neil, for engaging with our content on LinkedIn. Thanks, Neil. Okay, a little history on the doctrine of privity of contract. I'm using lots of big words today. (laughs) Privity of contract is a common law principle which provides that a contract cannot confer rights or impose obligations upon any person who is not a party to the contract. That seems easy enough, right? If you didn't sign up for this, you don't have any obligation for it. This concept of privity, meaning are you a party to the contract, has been going on for a while. We, we found a case, Tweedle versus Adkinson in, wait for it, 1861. <laughs> the foundation of this is from that case from 160 years ago. And, and thank you, Shelley Hall, for researching that fine little nugget for us. All right, let's step back into modern times, into today. As we said, probably six times already. I haven't actually been counting. Privity of contract means that the government holds the prime contractor responsible for the work performed. And only the prime contractor can bring a claim against the government if if they believe that the government has directed them to do something that's not covered by the contract. It also means that the government cannot provide direction to the subcontractor. That's why most subcontracts have a clause that says something like, Sub shall not communicate directly with the government unless approved by the prime to keep this idea of privity in line. It sounds very stuffy, but it's a very effective way to make sure that, that, that we're not crossing lines. Yeah. There's an approved flow of information and, and contractual direction. It goes from the government to the prime, to the subcontractor, and also the opposite direction from the subcontractor to the prime, to the government. And if you remember, only a contracting officer can direct a prime contractor to, to do something. The other people in the government don't have the authority to direct a prime. Well, in your prime contractor, 
only approved representatives from the prime contractor can direct a subcontractor. And that's probably a subcontract's manager, subcontract's administrator, a procurement representative, something like that. The point is that authority is held in certain people at certain levels. And if you don't bound that, it gets really confusing really fast. If, if, if you're a prime contractor and you have 10 subs and they're all talking directly to the government, I think you get off the rails pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, well said. This is important because, like we said, the prime contractor's in charge and they have responsibility for the performance of all of their subcontractors at all levels. And that means if a subcontractor fails to perform and that impacts the prime's ability to deliver on time or on cost, the prime doesn't get to blame the subcontractor. They don't get to say, well, it wasn't my fault, government. They, they, they blew it, right? The government doesn't care because the government doesn't have privity of contract. They can't step in and make the sub perform or direct the sub to do anything differently. That is why they're paying the prime contractor. That goes back to the whole point of the contract is, is if I wanted to manage 10 subcontractors, I would have awarded 10 contracts. I have a prime contractor who is coordinating all this. And the larger contracts, the truer this gets. Where the expectation is, I've got one belly, but I, as a government, have one belly button to push. Well, that belly button, in legal terms, is privity of contract. So if the government issues some direction to the prime that causes the subcontractor to incur more cost or, or need more time to deliver, the subcontractor can't submit a claim to the government and say, hey, you changed this. You owe me more money. They have to go through the prime. And the prime, if they can flows that claim, that request for equitable adjustment, however you want to describe it, they flow that up to the government as their own claim. And this can get a little squirrely if the government says, well, Mr. Prime Contractor, you, you should have foreseen that or you, you, you actually should have absorbed this, etc." And then the prime contractor has to decide if they're going to approve the claim from the sub. And so that's why contract management is a it's a whole profession because there's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, the prime could have screwed something up and given direction to the subcontractor that caused a change that the government might say, that's not our problem. You, you mismanaged that prime, so it might not be even be something that can be flowed up to the government. The point of all this is the government does not have a contract with the subcontractors, so there's a buffer between them, and that's the prime who is responsible. As you might guess, all of this plays out in the execution time zones, not the acquisition time zones. In the acquisition time zones, you're forming teams. You're maybe getting things straight of who's going to be the prime and who's in charge. But where it really hits is the execution time zones. You want to get this straight in the honeymoon zone. Right at the beginning, contract kickoffs, post-award conferences. Who's in charge? What's the communication flow going to be? Like we said before, there's usually a clause that says subs can't talk directly to the government without without permission. I right? want to make sure that that's well understood right at the very beginning. And then this plays out during the performance zone, which is the main, the, the bulk of the execution time zones. So are these teaming, is a, is a teaming agreement going to lay out the privity or is it more after award you have the subcontract that lays out these details of who's doing what? Does it, like, in other words, there's a clause that says you don't take direction from the government. Do you talk about that during the teaming agreement or do you talk about that after you go, oh, by the way, in the subcontract? I think for the most part in the acquisition time zones, 
the teaming agreement lays out that this is the prime and they're responsible for the communications and all, all the RFP questions and all the back and forth with the government. So you start from the very beginning with, with putting that in place where you're a subcontractor and you don't get direct contract with the government or it'll get all confused. Yeah. And my point of bringing that up is that if you don't know that during the teaming agreement and you find out, oh, what do you mean I can't talk to the contracting officer as a sub? Uh, it's like you, you got to have this conversation before you get the contract or things can get messy. Yeah, that's a good point. So in the acquisition time zones during the, the market research zone and the RFP zone, when contractor teams are being created and proposals are being written and RFP questions are being submitted and pre-award conferences are happening, it's important to have that laid out as well. So it really is. It, it's on both sides, though, the impacts play out. I think most we think about it mostly in the execution time zones. Yes. As a, as a contracting officer, I think about it a lot more during the execution yeah. time zones because that's what I'm living with it being done wrong. Sure. And if you're not familiar with the ac- acquisition and execution time zones, we cover those in episode number three and episode number 84. I'm going to link this to the FAR. We got to have a FAR reference or it wouldn't be a contracting officer podcast. FAR 42.505 is post-award subcontractor conferences. Subparagraph A of 42505 says the con- the prime contractor is generally responsible for conducting post-award conferences with subcontractors. However, the prime contractor may invite government representatives to a conference with subcontractors. Therein lies the danger. All right, so now you got the subs and the prime and the government <laughs> all in the same room. So it goes on, subparagraph B, government representatives must recognize the lack of privity of contract between the government and the subcontractors shall not take action that is inconsistent with or alters the subcontracts and shall ensure that any changes in direction or commitment affecting the prime resulting from a subcontractor conference are followed up, are made by written direction of the contracting officer to the prime contractor. So anything that all of these people, the prime and the sub and the government people talk about must be memorialized by the government giving written direction to the prime contractor to do something. Just because everyone talked about it at the meeting doesn't mean, all right, our contract's different. Everybody go forth and do what we said at the meeting. And, and this can get really squirrely when there, you can't necessarily tell the difference between person A, who is a subcontractor, and person B, who's a prime contractor. And if you don't know going in and their badges might be not be different or and they both have visitor badges on, right? It, it it can get frustrating because if you're given direction to person A and they're a sub and then the person B says, hang on, we have privity of contract, which would be awkward to say in the middle of a meeting. All of a sudden you see how easy this can get squirrely. Yeah. You have this, this post-award subcontractor conference and there's, it's at the prime contractor's location and there's subcontractors there from different companies. There's government people there and there are government support contractors there. So we have all kinds of opportunities for people to not understand who works for who and who has authority. Very important to spell that out. And then do it over Zoom and see how it goes. Oh, geez. Specifically on the government side, it is common that there are subcontractors or even layers and tiers of subcontractors and vendors, even on small contracts and programs. We talked about the, the concept of a second tier sub in episode 265, actually. But remember the, the pecking order, the government enters into the contract with the prime. The prime contractor, in turn, enters into a contract with the sub. And then that sub may enter into a contract with another sub. And so this system, this pecking order, creates a legal buffer between the subcontractors and the government. 
It also creates a communications buffer, which, which can be good or, or bad. <laughs> On the bad side, the government may want something done that doesn't get passed through those layers. It doesn't get passed through from the prime to the subcontractors. The good thing about it is you don't have government saying something that everybody reacts to. Right. Just because the government says it in a meeting, subcontractors just can't run out and do a bunch of things that the prime contractor is then responsible for because exactly. th- they didn't give the direction. So it does, it goes both ways. And that, that buffer must be used wisely because the unauthorized commitment rule applies if privity of contract is broken. Unauthorized commitment was episode number 56. Government employees must be careful to not inadvertently or worse purposefully provide direction or even what appears to be direction to subcontractors. And subcontractors have to be careful not to take action if they think the government is trying to provide direction. They got to remember that the prime contractor is in between there. Yeah, this can lead to scope creep. We talked about this. One of the one of the one of the benefits of having this buffer, this this privity of contract. If the subcontractor thinks, "Oh, but the contracting officer told me too," and they don't know about privity of contract, they start doing things, and before you know it, you've got extra reports, you got extra meetings, and and the 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 growth can get out of control. All of which then it ends up being an unauthorized commitment that somebody has to clean up later. Yeah, it can go bad in a thousand different ways if we break that 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 privity. Yeah, and I'm I'm raising my hand because this is a passionate topic for me because a couple of times I didn't realize that the badge was different, and I ask somebody a question and they have to go research the answer, and that's direction that the time that they spent to research it, that's billable to their contract. Well, they have a subcontract with the prime, and the prime wanted to research it themselves, and I'm in this awkward meeting going, "Oh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't realize I just created." It, it, it's really easy for this to happen. Yeah, from the industry side. Like you're saying, the prime contractor is held responsible for the sub's performance. So if you tell the sub to do something that the prime didn't want done, the prime is going to come back to you, government contracting officer, and say, uh, we're going to need some money for that, even though they're they're responsible. They're responsible for what the contractor does and doesn't do. So if the subcontractor isn't performing, the prime contractor is responsible for making them perform or getting a new subcontractor. And if they don't, ensure that their subcontractors are performing well, it reflects back on the prime. This is past performance. This is why past performance evaluations are performed. Can you manage your subcontractors? It shows up in your CPAR, in your contractor performance assessment report, you know, that that mark that's on your permanent record. It could say this contract went poorly because this prime did not manage their subcontractors. That's why some solicitations actually include a subcontract management as an evaluation criteria, meaning we're going to judge how well you have done this before we give you another contract that has subcontractors in it. Yeah, it'll have that in the past performance section, or it'll have it in the management section, a a special section that says, tell us how you will manage your subcontractors. This is super common in large contracts where where they assume there are going to be multiple subcontractors. One place where industry can get in trouble and this was part of my life for a while, you might be a prime contractor at the same government acquisition office with the same contracting officer where you're also a subcontractor. So you have a prime contract with this office and you're also a sub to another prime contractor that's supporting that office. So be sure to understand and make sure your employees understand 
the difference, which ones you're a prime on and which ones you're the sub on, because how you interact with the government is different. And if I'm talking, if I'm on the industry side and I'm talking to the same contracting officer, it can get really easy to slip over the line and start talking about the other contract in the same manner as you would about your prime contract. Slippery slope. And likewise, for the contracting officer is to remember this. Yeah. Is it's very easy to, to treat because they're humans, they're people. You're just talking and you slip over the other contract. Hey, let's talk about this one. You can't forget that they're a sub on that one. And I'm raising my hand because I did that once. Yeah. I'm sure I did it more than once. All right, Kevin, I think that's it for today. Okay, that's it for this episode right, of the I'll Contracting Officer Podcast. When you need help navigating privity of contract issues, Skyway's team of former contracting officers is there for you with custom consulting and training. Visit SkywayACQ.com or give us a call at 877-884-5280. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.